Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right. So before we actually for real get started, I realized that I just poured you um, about three fingers of vodka. Awesome. I, I hope you drink it because it's a lot. Yeah, we're going to do a toast. Um... For anybody who is watching the show, welcome. Uh, before we get formally started, I need to let everybody know that Lamar is not here because he is celebrating his motherfucking birthday. So can we all clap for Lamar? Happy birthday, Lamar. Happy Looking birthday, right. Lamar. Happy birthday, Lamar. And that voice that you hear um, is actually Jayla. And Jayla, I'm so excited to have you on the show. I also want to be I also want to shout out to Kara because Takara, who was our guest last week, is standing in as the PA for this episode in Lamar's absence that just shows you what a family affair this is. I love you, Takara. I just want to clap for you as well. I love you too. Uh, Jayla, I love your voice. It is so soothing. It's, it's so raspy, right? You guys, before we even um, start the show, Jayla and I have to have a quick toast. Um, let's toast to divine timing. And I gave you so much vodka. Please don't drink the whole thing at once because I want you to be awake for the whole episode. You guys got to know I'm not even a drinker, okay? Okay, so a, a toast, I whites, for, for good luck, to divine timing. Okay. Jayla, I'm so happy you're here. Thought there was a knock it there, too. Oh, ooh, that's vodka. All right, let's start the show. Cue the music. drink i don't know why every episode i act like it's my first drink um i want to make sure that before we get into hot topics and all that good stuff that i read the formal bio that was sent to us by jayla we always ask our guests to send a bio so we can see how they see themselves and make sure that we're encapsulating them in a way that feels authentic but jayla's bio was so jayla that i don't even feel comfortable paraphrasing it <laughs> And before, yeah, I'm, if I have mispronounced anything, Jayla, let me know. It says, Jayla, the self-esteem queen, commonly referred to as that, that nigga, nigga. <laughs> spent 18 years rescuing sex trafficked teens across America while living out her dream career as a motivational speaker and performance coach. She's the executive director of the, is it Sec Hope? SEQ Hope. I, I was actually going to say that at first. I should no go on my instincts. With the SEQ Hope Foundation, where the focus is teaching emotional intelligence, you know I love that, and suicide dep depression prevention to youth of color and low, lower so socioeconomic areas. As a master Reiki healer, Jayla is the owner of Healing in the Trap, a chakra and energy healing boutique in Chino Hills, California. A movie based on her work in sex trafficking was actually released back in 2018. I saw it. And won the pan African Film Festival first feature in 2019. Jayla, that nigga. That nigga. Jayla, seriously? Ah. Uh, that nigga. <laughs> so I've been called many things. But, you know, I, I think, you know, my my Arishas like to refer to, to me as that nigga because breaking generational curses is hard and I'm that nigga doing that. And Jayla, do you self-identify as a priestess? I don't. I how, do, don't. How, do you, how do you identify yourself? I identify myself as a practicer of Ifa. Oh, I love that. Yeah, That's I'm, you know, and and I and I and I really am into ancestor worship. That's uh, why I have this jacket here. This is my grandmother's favorite jacket, and she's currently transitioning right uh, now. And so uh, today, I had on her wig and her jacket. Jill, yeah. I I love the fact that in the midst of you. Basically, being a death doula, right? Because I, we, we—that's a whole thing. You guys should really look into death doulas. We think about doulas bringing in life. There's also doulas who help people go into the other realm. So, I love that you do that kind of work. It speaks to me as somebody who didn't get to say goodbye to my aunt when she passed away. And so, the fact that in the midst of doing that, you made the time to be here today, girl, that's love. <laughs> Let me just say that this is my fourth relative that I've transitioned. Oh, wow. I find it to be an honor. And I and I didn't understand until I found Ifa mm -hmm. that this is what I'm supposed to be doing because my Arisha is the gatekeeper of the cemetery. And so this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I didn't know. It's such a comfortable, great experience to transition 
your ancestors to the next place. Mm. Uh, I feel very grateful. Uh, there have been tears, but most of it is happiness because that's my grandma. I took care of her when other people didn't, you know. Oh, I wish that that was more popular. I think sometimes we tend to deify youth and throw away our elders who are so full and rich of knowledge and wisdom that we want to like have pass on, like stay on as their legacy. And you're like a living legacy, right? And I think for you, what I love about you is you are fun. You are a real ass bitch. I hope you don't mind me saying that. Very real. You real as fuck. But like, you're so intentional about your language, about your movements. And so you being here for me was such an honor because I knew you meant it. Thanks a lot. And also words mean things. And I don't like to have needless banter conversations. So when you reached out, I was like, it it, it has to be a conversation based on emotional intelligence because she know, I'm here. She, she, she know a nigga don't talk about nothing else. That's so. Literally. And it's, it's, doesn't it feel good to be steeped in your purpose? I know there are folks who are grappling, especially right now. We're about to get into it into hot topics in a second. But right now, a lot of people are grappling with what their purpose is. And those of us who knew early or who are steeped in it, I, I almost feel like it's an honor to like not have to wonder why you're here. It's great to come somewhere and be your your true authentic self. Mm-hmm. Right. So I don't I don't have any hang ups. You know, if people don't like the word nigga, that's too bad. Uh, <laughs> she meant I, it. I love me and I and I love being my full authentic self, not having to hide any part of myself when I step into a room. It makes me free. Uh, well, speaking of freedom, this is the perfect segue, guys. We're going to hot topics. The first hot topic we're going to talk about, and Jayla actually loves the fact that she doesn't know what any of these hot topics are. I'm excited. I know, right? Isn't it fun? <laughs> we were talking about freedom. NPR has um, had a, a recent article where they're talking about something that they're calling the Great Resignation. So we, you know there's the Great Migration. You know that there's a lot of names that we give certain times in history. The highest number, I think, in like years of people who quit their jobs was in August. Why do you, and, and we're clapping, for those of you who are watching this video, we're clapping. Why do you think so many people saw the pandemic as an opportunity to set themselves free and reimagine who they get to be? It just reminds me of the Dave Chappelle skit where when keeping it real goes wrong and, yes. the, and the woman says, I don't like people playing on my phone, <laughs> right? And she takes it all the way and she has that friend yeah. during the pandemic. You know, people got sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm. And when you have to go to work to see people, you have to go. And when you can sit at home in the comfort of your home on a laptop and you are mad at these people because they made you come in and told some lie and you're like, you know what? Fuck that. I don't like nobody (laughs) playing with my time. Don't play on my phone. You know what's so crazy is that I've been a remote employee since 2014. Because when I was a little girl, I remember seeing Murder, She Wrote, and, and Jessica Fletcher was a writer who traveled the world and worked remotely. And this was the 80s. I'm, I'm dating myself. And I was like, oh, I want to do that. I, I don't want to go into an office. I want to be a writer who gets paid to travel and have fun. I made it happen. And so it's weird for me that six years later, the rest of the world started becoming remote employees as well. And I was just like, y'all are late. This is it. Like, this is popping. And you're actually more productive, in my opinion, when you work from home. I mean, I, I love working from home. And more important. I don't like working for people. And I think Ooh. that during the pandemic, people realized, I don't like working for you motherfuckers. Like, you know, I, I'm going to make a way, some other way. And Spoken I, and I, I, like I a think a, hustler. A, lot of, a lot of people have just decided there have to be other ways to make money. And I'm not talking only fans. I'm just saying there oh. have to be other ways to make money. And mm-hmm. people also started to tap into their creative sides. So when you're going to a nine to five and you have to get up two hours before so you can make it to work on time, depending on where you live, you don't have time to do any of the creative things that you love. And during the pandemic, niggas had time. And you know what's so (laughs) crazy is that I think a lot of us don't give ourselves permission to monetize our passion. Speaking of when keeping it real goes wrong, I think there's still a subsect of people, particularly in black and brown communities, who think that there's money involved, you're a sellout. No, I sold out. Like I'm, I'm, I sold out on my products, and I'm, and I'm gonna make, and I'm gonna make more, <laughs> and I'm gonna make more, and I'm gonna feed my family, right? And I'm gonna, I, and I'm gonna charge a little more <laughs> since they sold out the first time. Let me tell you, I love a good sold out sign on my website. It makes me very happy. And so, how do you reconcile like being someone who's very authentic and having integrity about yourself, but also being like, no, I need money. Like abundance gets to be part of my emotional and spiritual practice. I don't have to be broke or poor or scraping to feel as if I'm keeping it real. So that's the other part. Mm -hmm. So I I teach emotional intelligence, right? Because I have a very low tolerance for stupidity. And so my quest 
to get people to a place where they can deal with relationship management, their own self-management. Like I have an overzealousness to teach emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. So I, I never get tired. And also in teaching that there is no rule book. So when I'm teaching a, a young adult, you know, we do the doe-wise crunchy face when we're talking about the police. How do you do it? It's like I, I get to make up my own rules and then I take what's happening in common day, right? Whether it's microaggressions in the workplace in corporate America or, you know, hitting a glass ceiling and, and trying to figure out what you're going to do. Maybe you don't want to go to college. Maybe you do thinking outside of the box. That's what I teach. And as a hustler, that's what I know. I mean, I was a prostitute on the street corner in Compton, and then I had to make a way. That's so, real. Here's what, though. You said overzealous. Now, I wouldn't call you overzealous. I would call you passionate. And here's, and here's why I'm making that distinction, right? Because part of anything that you're passionate about, there's a line where you stop asking for consent and you shove it down people's throats. And that's what I would call overzealous. I don't feel like you ever shove anything i feel like you are have consent baked into your bone marrow y'all know me very well i'll shove it you you gonna shove it i i <laughs> JJ i look like i'm just not shoving it around you but <laughs> in in different spaces uh-huh. i am definitely seen as aggressive mm. right instead of assertive and that I, word is so loaded when it's used for black women though correct it's but I, so I carry around an emotion wheel it's the same wheel that i use for my children mm-hmm and I teach people how to deal with me. So before you call me angry, I could be a myriad of other emotions. So ask me, you know, check my temperature. I'm okay with that. I teach people how to deal with me. So question, how do you respond when someone says, hey, Jilla, what you're doing is great, but I don't have the bandwidth for that? Because they do have the right to opt in or out, right? Like, do you disengage from them entirely? Or how do you deal with, like, what, because think about it, right? If I had a friend who was super Christian and was being evangelical, and I was like, I don't have the bandwidth for that. I love you but I don't have the bandwidth for this right now. They'd have to figure out how to disengage from like not having to do a sermon without my consent. How do you navigate when you hit somebody who's just not with the, with the shits right now? Like they don't want to deal with it. So a couple of things. Mm-hmm. I am friendships every quarter. That's every three months. <laughs> and, and, and the reason why I do Jayla, that, I love you. The reason why, and I've been doing that for years, mm-hmm. the reason, and, and, and also some people, get lowered or or raised on the totem pole based on where they're at in their life right so right you know there may be times that like there's a movie from years ago it's called sweet november it stars keanu reeves and Charlize theron right? Ooh, I'm gonna look that up. you you, you, okay. you really need to because the the basis of it is she doesn't have people around for a long time but in that 30 days that she has people around she totally changes their life People can only take me in doses because I am too real. And because mm. as an empath, I do feel my emotions and I let that show. I cry when I want to cry. I laugh when I want to. I wake up happy every day. I smoke weed, mm-hmm. you know, and, I, and I'm and i unapologetic about it all. I live in an all-Trump Republican neighborhood and I'm the only nigga out there with a blunt. I was like, good morning. Oh, that's, oh, you were in the belly of the beast. I'm in the belly. And, and guess what? What? I love it. Because being myself, you know, like my next door neighbors are... Mormon Republicans. And so there's a lot happening in one sentence. They couldn't pick just one struggle, huh? They listen, had to do both. Listen. I'm not judging the Mormon community um or the Republican community, but together that's a lot, y'all. They they are, you know, when when there was the recall here in California, she came over with a little with a little lemon loaf and she said, Jayla, I know you're voting for Larry Elder. And, you know, <laughs> during the during the presidency, you know, she came over and you know, she always brings a treat. And she said, Jayla, we can't let the Democrats take this. And, you know, I like that banter. That's banter. You know, but does she I, I know grew- where you stand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, but I grew up Jehovah's Witness, you see, and I'm no longer oh, Jehovah's Witness. so you understand, you understand? It. Mm-hmm. So it's like I used to, when I, you know, left that sect, you know, I would invite him in. Come on in and sit down. Let's talk about it. Oh, so Jayla's with the shits, y'all. Jayla, yeah. Jayla is with the shits. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, of th- uh, controversial topics. There's been one topic, the the day that we're taping this is only a couple of days after the Astro World Festival, um, that was, you know, understandably and, and justifiably shut down. What are your thoughts about the ongoing debate about what happened and Travis Scott? Because for me, and I and I want to preface this, I want to say, first of all, that what happened to those people who lost their lives and their families, like my heart goes out to the people who lost people. I think there was like a child in the fray, like a 10-year-old, right? But I also feel very hesitant about those who are calling Travis Scott a demon 
for not having the foresight to know how bad it was as it was happening. Um, I think a lot of people were responsible for what happened and a lot of people should be held accountable legally, fiscally, and all other kind of ways. But as somebody who has been on stage, I can tell you there've been times where I've been in a crowd with hundreds of people. I mean, he had like tens of thousands where it looks like I'm looking at you, but I can't really see what's Correct. happening. There's so many lights on the stage and people don't. Nobody who's actually performed was like, oh, he was on stage. So he, he saw everything. That's not true, guys. Anybody who's ever been on a stage, especially with a huge crowd, you could literally just like your eyes aren't resting on anything. You're just kind of looking into the ether. And so I'm a little bit nervous about how quick we are crucifying this man before the facts come out. Now, if the facts come out and it tells us a different narrative, sure, then he has to pay for that. But the level of quickness that people took to call him a demon, horrible X, Y, and Z, when to be honest, people die at festivals all the time. And that's not to minimize this, but this is not an atypical act. And there were other parties who were responsible. The fact that it's only Travis makes me nervous. Like the comfort in making it only Travis makes me nervous. What are your thoughts? I think that this too shall pass. Mm -hmm. And let me just tell a quick story. You know, it was sometime in the 90s. I went to the Budweiser Superfest at the Forum. We sat right in the front, me and some nice lad that I didn't even know. <laughs> and they start fighting. And I didn't give a fuck about that nigga. I was out. <laughs> I was out. I don't know you. Right. And I've never been, I don't even go to the Jazz Fest. Damn, I have a, not I have even a, the ones with the aunties? No, I have a backyard that's big enough to put my own speakers outside and I can sit in my own grass and I can eat my own food and I can drink my own wine. No, I learned a long time ago in the early 90s, don't go to no concerts. And here's my thing. The fact that people say, you know, oh, well, you know, he incites riots and it's like, they could be 100% right about that. Be careful with that right? language, guys. Be very right. careful talking about a black man inciting right. a riot for being a rock star when there's white rock stars all the all the time who do the same thing and you don't use that language with them. And Just and, be very careful. And, and, and you're talking about someone who grew up loving Aerosmith. Exactly. Okay, and you're talking about somebody who knew about mosh pits before they were popular in the black community. And you're talking about somebody who also, as a at a young age, learned my own personal responsibility. Right? And so... I don't blame Travis. I, I I really don't even deal with or listen to the banter of people playing the blame game. Right. Because people always will have something to say because that's how they become important in social media world. But in the real world, people know that he is not at fault. Right. But people in so, you know, social media has people fucked up. Right. Yeah. You think you have an opinion. You get all these likes and it's like, oh, OK, these my opinion takes. matters. Yeah. Right. It, your opinion doesn't matter. Right. What matters is that people lost their lives. But what also matters is that in a crowd of 50,000 or more, it was only eight. And what also matters is that when you're calling somebody a devil worshiper and a, a devil demon, worshiper, guys, right, for that, rock and roll, right, which we created, by the way, rock and roll was created by black people. We'll get into that another time. Go ahead. Correct. When we're when, when we're vilifying someone. For the moment, because it's popular, that's why I'm not really on social media because I don't participate in group thought. And I don't try to listen to different people's uh, opinions because I don't want them to become my own. Yeah. So when I looked at it, I looked at it from a clear, unbiased, I mean, that wasn't his fault. Imagine, you know, me being at the Budweiser Superfest and me blaming whoever was on stage for that and, and then suing that person. I mean, we have some fucking audacity in 2021. And here's the thing, right? For the families who are who are in pain, how they deal with their grief, I will not judge that, right? People do a lot of things in pain if they want to sue him, his mama, and everybody around him. Like, I understand how grief makes us lash out sometimes. So them, this is not about saying that I have a problem with, with how they're responding, but the fact that within 12 hours, he was the devil before any facts had been released, before anything, any data was there. The quickness with which they were using what is seen as typical rock and roll behavior to vilify this one young black man without any facts, it broke my heart that it was mostly us doing it. And again, this is to say, if history shows that later he's proven to be at fault because he signed off on something that he shouldn't or he didn't listen to a warning that he got and the, the worst case scenario happened, I'm totally open to that. But the quickness with which they were willing to vilify him is, is, is very telling to me. But ain't nobody quick. And when nobody quick to vilify R. Kelly, they was just like that Boondocks episode outside that courthouse, Ooh. stepping in the name of love, <laughs> eating a McDonald's, wearing a Jordans. That's true. So, I do think it's interesting, and not to be provocative, but let's be provocative. 
It took you guys 30 years to convict um, R. Kelly, but it took you 12 hours to call Travis Scott a, a devil worshiper. Make that make sense. So when little black girls are being raped, it takes about a couple decades and several videos and like court cases and gag orders. But okay, you know what? I'm gonna stop. Yeah, and and I'm and, about and, to get I'm about to get angry. I'm gonna okay. stop. I'm, I I just feel like be very careful about how much they fear monger us to, to eat our own and how quickly we do it before we get facts. And you know, learn how to have your own opinion. Ooh, what's that? Because in 2021, people so, have their own opinions. So often, people are afraid to just voice their own opinion. Right. And that's a problem. Yeah. And that's why there's so many trolls on the internet because that group think will have you thinking that you're thinking something logical. It's not even logical, right? If I mean, without even having all the facts, it's not even logical to say that he's at fault, right? That's not logical. It's too early to make strong, absolute statements so far. Yeah, it's too early. Correct. And I know that we do that because we want to blame someone. You understand? But here we were letting Brian Laundrie walk around while poor Gabby Petito was waiting to be found. Exactly. And we didn't want to vilify him. Mm, and, and let's look at the optics of how different they look. But I'm not going to. Oh, girl, we, this could go so many places. I, uh, I, I do like the fact that we're both on the side of thinking for yourself i have a theory and this is something that i always tell my clients i'm convinced that people love to be angry because it's a facsimile for power that's correct when you are disempowered being angry is the closest you can get it's almost like drinking diet coke like it has a little aspartame taste but you feel like you almost had coke people who have no power love to be angry i'll i'll take it a step further and say being angry allows you to not hold yourself accountable for your thoughts mm -hmm. because you're so focused on the energy that it takes to be angry that you're not focused on the actual thought process that you have. And you're also not focused on on, on uncertainty. I saw this beautiful video, um, and I, I hope I can find her. She's on Twitter, and it went viral. This young lady explained how whenever something happens, like what happened at Astroworld, people love to have conspiracy theories about the Illuminati and the X, Y, and Z because... There's comfort in saying there's good guys and bad guys and there's demons and everything has sense. But to make peace with the fact that sometimes fucked up, very devastating shit just happens due to negligence. And to have that gray is uncomfortable. So we make things very black and very white so that we can find comfort in good guys and bad guys. That is correct because sometimes nobody's at fault. I'm not saying in this situation here, but it's like... You know, I'm the definition of when bad things happen to good people, a motivational guy for living. Like that's... Mm -hmm. If anything bad could happen to somebody, it's happened to me. And yet here I am still happy and shit. And there's a reason for that. And I think most people don't see the other side of, like, we live in a world that's that has so much toxic positivity. Either you have to be like... Oh, y'all know I hate toxic positivity. Either you have to be like... Good vibes only. Right. I hate that shit. Either you have to be like Rachel Hollis, <laughs> right? I'm so happy, mm -hmm. but I'm miserable inside, right? Or... You know, you're like me and people think I'm a pessimist, but I'm just, I just keep it real or I just keep it. Like, that's really my thing. And it's like, okay, some days I feel great and some days leave me the fuck alone. Well, speaking of uh, leave me the fuck alone, let's talk about how Jayla got on this episode. <sighs> oh, child. <laughs> I'm going to try my best. For those of you who, who watch Hollywood Unlocked, you've already heard this story. I do not want to go into detail because it's triggering. Um, trigger warning, by the way, we're about to get into the part of the show where we're going to be talking about dates and um, sexual violence and trafficking and all the things that might be a little bit triggering. So if you don't have the bandwidth, this is your time to be like, Blue, I love you, but I'm about to hop out the shower and hit pause, right? If you do have the bandwidth, woosah, because things are about to get a little awkward. Um, and shout out to Kara and you being here at the same time, because Takara actually plays a role in the story that I'm about to tell. For those of you um, who didn't believe this story where I shared it on Hollywood Unlocked, Takara actually is the friend, the phone a friend that was there for me when the incident took place. Takara, I, they saw you last week, so they know your beautiful face. Um, two weeks ago, for the first time ever, I found myself wearing a blonde lace front because the girl who braids my hair was was not, not available. Never worn a lace front in my life. My, my my scalp is still recovering from it. It was a lot to wear a lace front. I felt like a real housewife of Koreatown. It was, it was a different kind of vibe for me. Um, and part of that vibe was... For the first time ever, a very uh, attractive six foot four. I've never dated anybody over six three. Um, well to do white man approached me while I was out and about and asked for my number. And I was like, huh, that's different. I I don't get approached by white guys. I'm so pro black and my hair be all natural. I don't get approached by them. 
we go on a date because my friends were like, try something new. And I was like, you know what? Serena Williams dated every sexy black man in the industry and finally ended up with a rich tech guy. Maybe God has a sense of humor. I don't know. Let's see what happens. I was open-minded, right? However, during the date, um, how do I say this, guys? Everybody, know, everybody in, the, in the studio knows the story, so I'm pacing myself. The day started off really beautiful, guys. The first two hours was great. Uh, we were laughing so hard, all the other tables were jealous. And then at some point during the date, he leans over and says to me, with a sexy voice, so I thought it was going to be something cute, um, can I have your underwear and wear them to work tomorrow? And I said, say what now? Because you know when you, you know black folks when they don't, our voices go high. I'm like, what you doing about women? What happened? Like, I got so comically black. <laughs> like, I almost said jive turkey. I was just so taken aback. I'm like, what happened? And he was like, you know, I want you to, then he said, I want you to jizz in them. And then, oh God, I got to feel dirty telling the story. And then give them to me and I'll wear them. And I was like, how do I tell this tall, tall white man that I'm not interested without like getting like slapped and called the N word. Like I like visions of everything going wrong went through my head. Right. Cause as women, when we're on dates, men don't realize how volatile some men can be. And so it makes all of us hyper vigilant. And this is also why you're here today. So I was like, how do I say something cute that'll make him stop while I figure out a way to get out of here? And I said, Oh, I don't wear underwear on the weekends. Ha <laughs> trying to be sexy, but like say no. He's like, well, can we link up on Monday? I was like, Oh, so you know how the weeks work. Uh, I was like, no, that's not going to work either. Actually, my friend is a basketball player, Takara. Um, she just had surgery. I got to go check on her. So I had to call an Uber. He asked me if he could pull me into the bathroom to make out with me. So that's the third no that's happening in a two minute time span. When a woman has to say no repeatedly, she feels increasingly unsafe. Correct. So now I'm like, wow, this is the third no. Okay. So no, I don't want to go into the bathroom and make out with you. And then he said, well, can you yank my balls really, really hard? But hard enough for them to hurt, but not hard enough that I can't walk in the morning. Mm. Mind you, this is at a dinner table. Mm. And I said, sir, I don't know how to gauge that. Like, how do you yank balls hard enough? I was like, I don't know how to gauge that. I got to go. My Uber's here. I jumped up. He stood up to hug me goodbye. And when he hugged me, I felt his erection. I felt I felt so violent just by feeling it against my stomach. And I ran out of there and FaceTimed Takara. And I was... You know, the first reaction when something happens to you, not, you know, and I feel like it's safe to say that I've been sexually assaulted. You're very open about your history. Sure. It's a very common thing. One of the things I realized that I've done to, for survival is to laugh through it at first, Correct. like muscle memory. So in the Uber ride home, me and Takara and the, the Uber driver, who was a woman, we were all kind of like, oh my God, that's wild. Ah. But when I got home, Takara had to stay on the phone with me for an hour to talk me down from how unclean I felt. Yeah, you had to decompress from that whole experience. I felt so dirty. And I'm someone who's very sex positive and, and, and almost very proudly talks about being pro-ho. But like, I felt so dirty in that moment because I was aware of how I was being perceived. And I also felt very fetishized, right? Like I felt like if I was a white blonde and not a, a black girl with a blonde wig, I don't feel like he would have said that to me. So I go on the show a couple of days later and I share the story with Jason and Damage. And of course, in the podcast setting, it was a funny story. And I presented it as such, so I'm not... There was no tone issue. Like I wanted to present it as something funny because I knew they wanted an update and I wanted to just get through it. And it was good content. What shocked me, Jayla, was when I, when I was sent a screenshot by a friend of, and I have friends who, guys, I'm going to ask my friends to stop doing this. I have friends, I don't read the comments, but I have friends who constantly send me screenshots. Stop sending me disparaging screenshots. I don't read the comments for a reason. But once you see it and open it, you can't unsee it. And it was a bunch of black women calling me a liar, saying nobody would want, either I was a liar, nobody would want me, so I made the story up, or I was a whore who deserved it because I'm so sex positive. Why would I be mad that he wanted to do things to me that other men have done to me? And I was like, Are you, is that what y'all got from this story? Mm. I went on a date and put on a cute dress and a guy leaned over and tried to pull me into a bathroom and have me yank his balls. But I'm, I'm, the, I'm the person who's wrong in this story. And so I hit up Takara. I was like, Takara, I can't believe these black women have figured out, you know, internalized misogyny is real, have figured out a way to make me the bad guy and something that made me feel unsafe. And they're literally writing, Blue, you sound silly. Why did you feel unsafe? I thought, I thought you've had ex-boyfriends do that. And immediately after Kara went into the comments and said, I'm her friend. She's not lying, guys. Get the fuck out of here. I hit up you, Jayla. You were the first person I thought of. And I was like, this is why Jayla does the work that she does. And you were the first person who wasn't involved who made me feel like just seen, like you believed me. Yeah, because it happens all the time. And as somebody who was a professional escort, okay. Tell them about how all that happened. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. We're having an expert, guys. I'm not going to fight with y'all. We're going to have an expert tell y'all that so, you got me fucked up. Okay, so let me just say this, right? So I, I, didn't, I didn't grow up to want to be a teen prostitute. Right. I was trafficked by a family member after my mom put me out at 14 and a half. 
And back then we didn't have cell phones, everybody. So, you know, there was nobody that I could call or beep to help me. I so love that we're in the same age group. I understand all these words. The the, the younger millennials are like, beep, what does that mean? It's called, it's called a pager, guys. There's right. a beeper. Oh, never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> Doctors still carry them, but once upon a time, we all did. Right. Yeah. So I went from the street corner to the trap house to college. I did my undergrad at LMU, and that's where the Lakers used to practice. And so it was great to be an escort, but also a great time to learn how to be an entrepreneur. And in learning how to be an entrepreneur, you don't have the escort agency to protect you when you run into the crazies. Mm. And so this right here is from an NBA player who tried to oh, cut, that's a scar on your arm. Cut my arm off high <gasps> on PCP. Are you an NBA player tried to cut your arm off while he was high, high on, on PCP? Now wow. the thing about it is, I've seen so much, I've heard so much. And when you reached out to me, I told you a story of a man that I met on Craigslist Ooh. who's a plastic surgeon, a very prominent plastic surgeon. And I met him on Craigslist. I thought, oh, you know, sugar daddy vibes. We meet in Westwood. I, we meet at the Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf. We have a great conversation. I follow him back to his place in my car. And we get up to his place. We're having a great conversation. And like you, I'm not thinking that the conversation is going to automatically turn sexual right. because nothing about me presented as I'm sexual because I wasn't an escort at that time. This man starts talking to me about babies and, you know, I'm like, okay, well, he calls women baby and so on and so forth. Long story short, he turns on a video and there he is with a young girl having relations with this with young a, girl with a minor with a minor and so i'm like oh this my is God. what we're on i'm in a high rise my car is in underground parking how the fuck am i gonna get out of this and so he's he starts asking me questions about my dad and i'm like what my dad and then he says you know did, did your daddy ever touch you and now i'm in this man's place high rise my car's underground I don't know the the concierge at the front. How am I supposed to get out of here? Mm -hmm. So I'm watching him as he's watching me. And then he's turning to the TV, watching this video. He was like, do you like this? Do you like? It was his daughter, y'all. It was his daughter. Okay, It was, it was his, his daughter. It was his daughter. It was his real daughter. His real in real life daughter. Okay. And she's grown now, but it was his real ass daughter. Okay. And so in that moment, the only way that I could get out of it was to just start asking probing questions. Yep, that's exactly what I do too. And so it became a situation where that I understood that was his fetish. And I just started to ask him questions. You know, what do you like? You know, I became a phone sex operator in present day in order to get out safely, right? And then, you know, he wanted to anally penetrate me. And, you know, when you're in that moment, if you've never had that experience, it's very difficult to say what you would or would not do. Amen. And in that moment, the only thing I could think of was how do I get out of here safely? You know, so I said what any any average woman would say, well, I can't be anally penetrated because I have hemorrhoids. And then, you know, he wanted to you know, insert my hammer, you know, so it's like, you know, that fetish world goes far. And I think that what's most important is that you were violated because nobody asked you, were you into that fetish? Number one, number two, the conversation in, in first date shouldn't have been to the fetish. And I'm a believer. So first of all, I'm a believer of fucking on the first date, but I've also been celibate almost three years. But I believe in fucking on the first date, okay? Because either we're going to get to know each other and it's going to be trash or, you know, we're going to get that out of the way mm -hmm. and then go on to... But I don't like being fetish... I, I, I don't like it. And so when you told the story, I felt for you because I was like, wow, like, I know how that feels when you think that you are with the one and maybe this is going to be a great connection and then next thing you know... You're, 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 you're a black fetish. Yeah, you're a black fetish. And and then it makes you think about, well, is this how they all think about me? Exactly. And then it's going to affect the next man who comes to you. And girl, you're supposed to have your Maximilian or your, or your Serena's husband. You're supposed to have that if that's what you choose, right? But with that, 
there's something wrong with people who go directly to the fetish on the first date. Like, like that's a problem for me. There's a there's a line of respect that in the first date, you don't know how aggressive you can be with someone when they say something that's inappropriate to you. And the kink community, when it's done correctly, is all about consent first. Correct. So that's actually anti-kink. Anybody who's been in the kink community knows that they build, like, consent early on so that everybody knows your safe words what you're into correct so nobody asked me what my kink was you you went straight there and you weren't concerned about mine which means that if we had sex you wouldn't be concerned about me coming and that's a problem too i was talk about it i was concerned about how women who look just like me and who i thought would be a safe space were the only ones who were vocally coming after me we've talked about on the show how internalized misogyny is on the rise like women are being weaponized against each other and i do think it is a side effect of the housewives world that we live in where people are commodifying black women attacking each other and so people think that's how women socialize now to an exaggerated degree i know the word caddy has been pre-existing but andy cohen has made cattiness like literally a like a conglomerate right so i think a lot of times women think it's okay to attack another woman who looks just like them rather than empathize one thing that i think that you said that was really interesting though was you don't know what you would do unless you were in that situation because most people say blue you are a bold bitch you're not a small girl you're five eight and a half like you're tall you're loud like why did you tell him to kiss my ass let me tell you something right now when you watch television you watch SWAT with Shamar Moore or any of those shows with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. When they are playing a hostage negotiator, what do they do? These big ass men covered in vests with guns on their hips talk softly and they literally try to endear themselves to the person who is unhinged because they know that they're trying to coax them into letting people be safe. Correct. It's the same thing when a woman is feeling unsafe in a man's. I am literally a hostage negotiator. I'm not going to say fuck you and cuss you out. I'm trying to coax you into calming down so I can get myself and anybody around me out safely. And the fact that people have cognitive dissonance and they don't recognize that's why women do that. It's crazy. It's triggering for me. Last holiday season, I went to a holiday party with a guy friend. And he saw me being nice to a man who had been mean to me because of me rejecting him. I rejected him and he was an asshole towards me. And he's like, you talk all this shit about how he's an asshole towards you behind the scenes, but you see him at a holiday party and you're being nice to him. That's fucking fake. And I immediately turned red with rage. I was like, don't you, you don't have the right to say that to me. I'm a woman in Hollywood with a high powered black man who is already mad at me and has the power to blacklist me. Me being nice to him is me making sure that I can feed my family. Like, that's not fake. That's a survival thing that women have to do all the time. And what's that wrong? That men don't understand. And, and and what's wrong with being nice to someone who's been disrespectful to you? Like, and, and first of all, let's be clear, it happens every day. It happens every it, day. It happens and men do it all day. the time for, for less noble and less threatening reasons. So it's also a little hypocritical that you can dap up a, a guy that you think is a loser, but be mad that I'm being nice to a man that I already know is trigger happy and has the power to make me look bad in my industry. Like... Dude, like men need to really recognize how much fear women naturally walk around with that they don't have to. A lot of their parents didn't talk to them. So so that's the other thing. You know, we live in a we so first of all, post-traumatic slave syndrome is real. It's very real. Mm-hmm. And you know, just like blue eyes can sti- skip down to other generations, so can post-traumatic stress. Mm-hmm. So can post-traumatic slave syndrome. And a lot of times, we want to be the good nigga, mm-hmm. right? And in today's society, the good nigga is the person that talks bad about everybody else. The good nigga is the troll, and and that's sad to say. But if you really think about it on social media, the good the good nigga is the troll, the bad person. And so it's like we're living in opposite world. Yeah, we are. And you have to just remember that. These niggas is living in opposite world. We ain't living in opposite world. I don't allow people to disrespect me, but I also let people know from the very beginning, if you say something to me and you see my facial expressions change, we're either going to change the subject or I'm going to politely tell you the fuck off in this tone, in this tone. Because like a hostage negotiator, I want to get out safely. And when you look around and you see how many women are being abused and killed just from 2018 to now by their boyfriends, their spouses or whatever. These are women of color, people of color. Yeah. 
And, and when you think about, you can't just talk to a man any old kind of way. And I don't know why we're pretending like we can do that. Now, maybe people on social media can do that. It's a pride thing because on social media, it's like, oh, I'm a badass. Like, you guys have all these prideful things that you say on social media. I had a homegirl one time. Shout out to Angel. Angel, I hope you're okay with me sharing this story. She once told me, she was like, blue back in the day, I had a loud mouth. People would honk at me while I was crossing the street. I'd be like, fuck you. Until one day I did that. I was on U Street in D.C. And this man turned his car around. And hit pull out a gun. That's right. And I never again yet yelled fuck you at a car. That's right. It just takes one time for somebody to call you on your bluff for you to realize that not everybody's playing with you. And I tell my kids all the time, when you know I'm playing, I'm I, you know I'm playing. And when I'm serious, be serious. Yeah. And that's real in everyday life. Be serious. And, and also, too, um, this is not about man bashing. This is about awareness. The reason why I pointed out how men casually think women are being fake when they're being nice to men of power or they're gold diggers or whatever is because you don't realize that you're a black man and you deal with racism. I'm a black woman. I deal with racism and sexism. I have a whole extra ism that I have to walk around with. And so you're thinking about being black, but when we're in an all black room, I'm still thinking about having a vagina. I'm still thinking about being a woman and you get the luxury of saying, Oh, I can go on vacation on a solo vacation. I'm looking at which countries I won't get raped in. Correct. So it's a very different thing where you can go to Abu Dhabi or whatever else and not be worried. I'm like, ooh, how do they treat women there, right? So I have a whole extra dialogue that you're not aware of. And it was sad. There was a, a, a question that was posted online that said, women, if men were gone for just 24 hours, what would you do? And everybody expected the, the answers to be wild. Every single woman in the comment section said, I'd walk on the street with my, walk, with my, um, my, my headphones on and not look over my shoulder. I took, I took a jog in the park at night. It was all about safety. Because women are so used to, even around good guys, because, you know, good guys can sometimes rape you and they justify it. And, and shout out to Michaela for having I May Destroy You. Have you seen that? I know you, you have to have seen I May Destroy You. Have you seen it? Please watch I May Destroy You. I literally wept um, while watching it. It's all about somebody who is a celebrity and she gets sexually assaulted while working on her second book. And she was sexually assaulted while hanging out with her guy friends. And she couldn't figure out who did it and if it was one of them. And so the whole series is her saying, I love you as my wow. childhood best friend, but I'm not sure if you raped me or not. I'm not sure who raped me. And did you help them? Were you there? And as a woman, that feeling of uncertainty, like, oh, you're a good dude, but you might also still rape me. Like that weird ambiguity that we all made peace with watching it on camera. That's why she won an award. She, got, she won a huge award for, for it recently. And everybody wept when she won because she was speaking for, oh, I'm going to cry right now. She was speaking for all of us. So this is not about being a man basher. It's about telling men, if you really are our allies, then you have to be aware of the burden that we carry that you don't know about. Yeah, because I, I want to piggyback off that and say, when I was a teenager in Compton, there was a guy who, he never raped me, mm -hmm. and I thought he was my boyfriend. He wasn't, and he's now doing maybe his 19th year of a 25-to-life oh sentence God. for rape by force or fear, by which three women were unable to identify their attacker. He was their attacker, and this is somebody who I knew from the age of 15 until we were going to the same church. Oof. He has seven kids, twins by a friend of, an ex-friend of mine. We ended up going to the same church, and then one day he gets arrested for some traffic violation. They run his DNA, and his DNA comes back from the three women that couldn't identify their— he had beat them almost to death, couldn't identify their assailant. So this is my friend of all these years. How did and, you feel? I mean, it, so, so it was pretty surreal, mm -hmm. and I've always been— um, a rapist apologist for many years and I won't go into really yeah and um, most of my sexual experiences have been rape and oh, so I, you have to justify it to make people what happened to you probably in some way I was molested as a as a young child um, high school boyfriend raped me at the school right behind his house went to spend the night at a friend's house in junior high her boyfriend was in high school I mean her brother was in high school came home and while she was asleep he raped me and then went and made tacos and, and <laughs> went to go watch tv a lot of my experiences have been me having non-consensual sex mm. and so I justified that by saying well I don't associate sex with love but the reality is that as an escort I did I really enjoyed having sex with men who would then give me intellectual conversation in return sometimes that was better than the money because you're teaching me emotional intelligence, you have what it is I want, right? Right. The networking, the contacts, the money. I want you to teach me how to be 
more sophisticated, right? So, so I was, it, what's in it for me? I was getting something out of it. It was transactional, yeah. Correct. And for many years, I would just make excuses for rapists. And I don't anymore. And I don't because I realized that some men have been raped. Mm -hmm. And I think that we don't look at the empathy of that. You know, I I could say a lot of things about R. Kelly and I won't. But what I'll say is that he never was healed. Right. And most people that are abused end up abusing somebody else. In in a myriad of ways. In In a a myriad of ways. In a myriad of ways. Right. So that could be verbal abuse, emotional abuse. Financial abuse. abuse. Correct. Spiritual Mm -hmm. abuse. Mm -hmm. And. You have to be very careful about the people that you're around because, you know, you may meet someone and look great in the exterior. But what about the mental, right? We don't take the time to get to know someone, that mental part. And you could be dating a fucking sociopath and not even know you're dating a sociopath. And you're wondering why your whole life is in ruins. And it wasn't before you started dating this person. And they're gaslighting you so you think it's you, not them. And then you're trading energies with this person and like I'm big on not trading energy with people that I don't know where their energy stands, right. which is why I'm a Reiki master. Because if you want to have sex with me, I have to perform Reiki on you. I have to burn candles for you. I, I'm doing all the magic before you can even get anywhere near me mm-hmm. because I need all those discernment roadblocks to come up because I've been an apologist for rapists for so many years. But do you know what you actually humanize? Because the show is called Humanize. We're supposed to humanize big personalities and big topics. A lot of people look at what they have been used to and they make that the baseline for everybody. So if you're someone who's been disrespected, you've been raped X, Y, and Z, if someone shows up and says, oh, I'm complaining about a date where a guy asked me to, to touch his, his penis, you're like, oh, you, you bougie bitch. You know what I've been through? That's no big deal. You're not judging me on, on my boundaries. You're judging me on your lack of boundaries. Correct. And so one of the things that happened when I got into emotional intelligence work was I realized the more I started standing up for myself, it, people who didn't stand up for themselves, I thought they were going to be inspired. They were annoyed. That and very I was, uncomfortable. They were very annoyed that I had the audacity to ask for a level of respect that they had never been able to. Correct. They were like, how fucking dare you think that you're allowed to ask to be treated well when I never could? Correct. And that's why I think a lot of times women attack other women the most because we're like no my, my man treats me like shit but like he loves me and how dare you act like that's bad because if i admit that your boundary makes sense now i have to ask my why my boundaries don't exist correct Child. and you have to be accountable for that yeah. and and what are most people who are upset and unhappy they're not accountable because most people who are so i've been through a lot of shit but i'm accountable for my emotions and one thing my kids will tell you my mom wakes up happy every day i'm talking about every day that's beautiful. every day every day that is what they will tell you And there's an art to being in control of your happiness. And there's also an art to being in control of how other people can manipulate your emotions. People can say and do whatever they want to say and do to me. And at the end of the day, I let that shit go in one ear and out the other. What people think about me, I'm for real. That shit is not my business. How do you discern who, because I get a lot of flack. And this is a thing that I love having another person who works in emotional intelligence here. I think it's the first time we've done it because... When you are somebody, you can't unknow what you know, right? Once you know, you can't unsee it. Especially if you're an empath and you feel energy and suddenly you have words to verbalize those things you were feeling as a child. Right. How do you discern who is safe? Because I tell everybody, my emotional safety is number one. I don't care if I've known you for 30. I, I ended a 30-year friendship earlier this year because he repeatedly put me in an emotionally unsafe situation over and over again and wasn't even sorry about it. He wasn't even remorseful, right? You could say, oh, well, you've known this person since you were a child. But yeah, you compromise my emotional like safety repeatedly. How do you discern who keeps you emotionally safe? Do you have a shorthand for that? Like, oop, that he he crossed that line, and I know I'm not safe anymore. I, I'm always looking for the liar. Oh, and so by the way, when's your birthday? December 9th. So her birthday's December 9th. It's a hundred. It's the day number one hundred of the hundred day challenge. Uh, she is a Sagittarius. For those of you who are into astrology, Sagittarius are all about their freedom, by the way. I'm not sure if you were aware of that. All about their freedom. So so speak on it, Sag. How do you, as a Sagittarius emotional intelligence coach, never thought I would say those two words at the same time, guys. You're 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 a unicorn. How Thank do you, you. How do you discern when you're safe? I look for... Okay, so first of all, I let people talk. Mm-hmm. And I don't talk a lot. And I guarantee a lie will come out. 
Okay, and I'm going to give you a perfect example. Cute guy who had tried to date me before, didn't work out. Now it's like 12 years later and he's older. You know, he thinks he's a man because he's in his, you know, late 30s. And so, you know, I'm like, yo, before we can even do anything, I got to light this candle. Mm -hmm. Send me a picture. So he sends me a picture. Such a such a, 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 a witchy spirit. I love you. So he sends me. So he sends me a picture. I put it on the candle, and underneath it says, "Just let me know if this nigga's wasting my time." That's what it said on the candle. Okay. You keep you kept it a buck even with your ancestors. I love that. Period. <laughs> we don't have no time to waste. Keep it a buck, ancestors. Is, is it him or not? So one day he's talking to me about something just random, and he's like, "Oh yeah, because I know Drake." Oh, now, now, this was a totally what unprovoked. What are you, Yeezy? Were you dating listen, Kanye? Who's name dropping Drake listen, on a date? <laughs> it, was, uh, it was unprovoked. It, was, it wasn't even a date. It was unprovoked. Who's is, who is name dropping Drake? It was so unprovoked. And I said, I'm sorry? <laughs> and he said, oh, yeah, because we was just together at the Clippers. I said, together as in you guys were there at the same time? Ooh. Or together as in like you know him? So I let him talk. And then as soon as we got off the phone, I blocked his ass from my phone. I blocked him from all my social media. Damn. And then he finally found my nonprofit page and followed me over there. And I said, let me tell you why I blocked you, bro. Okay. Because you don't know Drake. Wait. Okay. This is when keeping it real gets, <laughs> gets true. You know what I'm saying? Like, you have to, you know, so you have to call a thing a thing. Isn't that what, what Iyama Van Zandt said? Right, you got to call a thing a thing. Call a thing a thing, beloved. You don't know Drake. You told, you told this, this man straight to his face, so you don't you know You don't Drake. know Drake. Oh, you confrontational. Okay, I love and it. it. <laughs> you know, they used to call me a confrontational Christian. You don't know Drake. That, that's, you know? That's, that's a double Christian, yeah. Uh -huh. and, 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 and there's something wrong with you thinking that telling me that is going to be impressive for me. Mm. right so the lie and then the downfall of the lie is you don't know drake right i'm not gonna say how i know you don't know drake but i know you don't know drake like i know you don't know drake i know you of all people don't know drake <laughs> <laughs> okay this is this got petty y'all for all and, the people in la who are lying about knowing drake or chris brown um, stop. Or, or Jamie Foxx. Stop. Those are the three. If you're living in LA, everybody's been to Jamie Foxx's house, Chris Brown's house, or, Dra or Drake's compound. If you're lying, Jayla's gonna block you. Go ahead. Okay. And so you know he he's still on my on my on my business page. You know, commenting in my in my DMs, and I'm just like, bro, move around. Oh, not like security. No. And I and I and I told him, you know, you're a clown. I'm very nice and gentle with it. But I'm gonna call a thing a thing. So, question: where, So, you're clearly very hyper vigilant. Yes, much I more hyper vigilant than me. I didn't think there was anybody out there. I'm I'm very hyper vigilant. Actually, no. Let me take that back. I'm mid level. I, I be trying to overstate it. I'm mid level hyper vigilant. So, where do you infuse, or how do you infuse grace into that? Like, is there a moment where someone could have never met someone like you before? So they're used to lying about knowing Drake and that being no big deal. They recognize you, a different kind of person, because you're that nigga, and they're like, "Oh, Jayla moves different." I want to re-engage acting better. Is there a space to have grace for people to learn you or is it like one and done? I give my kids grace. Oh. And 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 and, and they know, right? When they have to write 500 standards and that turns into just one side of one page, what did mommy give you? Grace. Okay? Mm -hmm. My kids deserve grace. A grown motherfucker don't deserve no grace. Oop. Okay, now you grown. I need, I need to hear this. I give too much race and you don't give it at all. Okay, and and I and I think we're on the spectrum, Jay. I, I think one of the biggest problems is when you give too much grace, you're allowing people too much space to be disrespectful. I don't even allow you the space, right? I literally just ended a friendship not too long ago, mm -hmm. and homegirl didn't do nothing to me, but she was talking about somebody else. And one thing I don't like, don't don't. I, don't vent to me. I have a therapist. I don't vent to my friends. <laughs> you so, know, I mean, that's a real boundary. They're, not everybody wants to be your venting friend. No, it's friend. serious. That's true. Because she's still friends with the girl. So my thing was. Oh, so, I, that, so yeah, that's unsafe. I, that's gave, unsafe. I, I, I gave her the warning. If you come and talk to me about this again tomorrow, I'm going to be looking at you crazy. And then I ended the friendship. And then she still wanted to, like, do business with me. And I was like, I need to find another vendor because I don't even want to make money with you. Like, I cut shit the fuck off. Yeah, you are. Period. Not, that is true as fuck. You know what's so crazy? I had a friend one time that I um, was venting to, and he said, well, you're complaining. You should have just told her. I was like, in the story, if you were listening, I did tell her. I'm telling you that I told her, and it fell on deaf ears, and I'm asking you, 
how do I move now that she's not listening? And I realized he did that a lot. And what finally hit me was because he always talks behind people's backs and doesn't tell them, he had cognitive dissonance. Like, was that word again? It was hard for him to really believe that I was saying things to people's faces and was just venting after the fact. Like, he couldn't concept of, like, someone actually being confrontational but just wanting to talk to a friend after the fact, right? So to your point, I'm the kind of person where if I complain to you about someone, that person knows I'm upset. I'm just trying to unpack with in a, with a safer friend after the fact. Okay, and, and, I, and that's I can, a distinction. And, yeah. and I can discern when someone's unpacking right? and when they're just talking shit about somebody because if you're talking shit about her, you're talking shit about oh, me. Oh, it tastes different. You're absolutely you correct. It tastes very and, different. And also, you have a choice to be around somebody and when you choose to be, what did, what did home do say? Jim Rohn, you become the average of the five people you choose to be around the most. Yep. Okay, so if you're choosing to be around a shady ass nigga, I'm gonna look at you crazy. And right? also, so you should even when you're mad at your friends. If I'm mad at somebody, like let's say my boyfriend makes me mad, I will talk to a homegirl that I trust that I know is rooting for us. That's a rule, guys. When you are venting about your partners, because you know we're human beings, we sometimes need to. If you don't have a therapist, you need to talk to somebody. Make sure it's somebody who's rooting for your relationship. I always get nervous when friends know I'm in a relationship and find it so easy to talk crazy about the person I'm with, just because we're having a bad moment. You can say, hey, he was wrong for this X, Y, and Z, but don't call him a piece of shit. Like, don't disrespect my partner or the person that I care about just because we're having a rough moment. That also makes me really uncomfortable. Yeah, because what kind of friend is that? Because if you're disrespecting him now, then how come when we was all good, you wouldn't tell me what a nothing motherfucker he was? Oop. You should have told me that when we was all good. If you was my real friend, you would have that uncomfortable conversation with right. me. You understand? I ask my friends clarifying questions. You know, I love me a good clarifying question. Speak on it, honey. And I when I'm, and when I'm asking question. clarifying questions, if you get offended because your man is not treating you right or your woman isn't treating you right, I'm just asking clarifying questions. I mean, you know, I don't well, know. Let me tell you, I've been asked some clarifying questions by some friends, Kyra included. So look at this. She's the one who's the most guilty in your in-studio. When I get asked a clarifying question that makes me go, Rrr. I acknowledge it. I was like, yo, ouch. Yeah, that, let me, that that actually is some crystal I need to chew on a little bit longer. I don't attack the person who is seeking to help me unpack the thing that I want to unpack. I will say this. Speaking of holding people accountable and relationships and the whole thing about dating someone and finding out they're a dastardly individual, how do you feel about the incidents that have been allegedly taking place between Nicki Minaj and the victim of her husband? Do you... How did you feel when you heard that story? Because I, I can understand how Nikki knew this guy since childhood and she's in love with him. And so you, like much like your story, she's known, yeah. him, she's known him since childhood. She's in love with him, X, Y, and Z. But how do you feel about her using her celebrity and her status and her money to intimidate the, the young lady and her family after the fact? I mean, I really don't want to comment on that because I'll, this is what I'll say. What I'll say is, she thought it was going to be easy mm -hmm. to have her thug. And now she realizes it ain't too easy. Mm -hmm. Now she can shut him the fuck up, but she can't shut up his victim. You mm, understand? Got it. She can't shut up the survivor. Right. You understand? And she's been taught a very nice lesson. Right. Do you you're, think she's learned it? Yeah. I don't, I don't follow her. Right. So I don't, but, but what I will say is there's some humble pie that she's had to have. Because clearly she didn't want it out. Right. It got true. out. Her money didn't buy the freedom of him not registering as a sex offender. True. Right? And so now she gets to see what it's like to be with a thug ass nigga. Now, whether it was consensual or not, I wasn't there. I don't know. But what I do know is that when you make a decision to be with someone who's a sex offender, that's a decision made. And you have to deal with the things that you deal with. She gave them to me already. You have to deal with the things you deal with in loving a sex offender. And let's just be clear. The person who's doing 25 to life for rape by force or fear, he's up for parole soon. And every couple of years, he reaches out to me and gives me the whole love bug this and da 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 that. And the last time I wrote him a letter and I said, listen, I might be a sucker motherfucker, but the only people that can call me a sucker motherfucker are my twins. Uh -huh. I'm not a sucker motherfucker for you. Right. You're not going to ruin my whole life because you need a place to parole to because your mama did. That ain't my problem. Oh, so you could already tell it was game. I mean, it, it, it was game when I was 15. It's game when I'm almost 43. You know why I asked you that question? Because usually when, when people talk about the Nicki Minaj uh, 
narrative. There's those who are barbs who are just staunchly going to defend her no matter what she does. And then there are those who are vilifying her and saying it's messed up. I think you have presented a rare opportunity to speak as someone who might actually know what it's like to be in her shoes more than the average bear. Like you actually know what it's like to deal with someone who's been accused of those things. And so I was curious how you feel when you, you can have empathy for her from a space that most of us can't, like, we don't know what it's like to be standing next to somebody who has those things being thrown at them. And you're the woman next to him. You know what I mean? Like, how does that affect you as a woman being next to someone like that? I mean, you have to also think about the fact that she's been with, with several high profile men who have done her wrong. And so you don't know where her self-esteem is. And that's something whole, totally different to unpack. You've been with these men, right? You had to get with a sex offender to have a child. Y'all can't go to Disneyland together. Y'all can't, you know, and this was a choice you made, this struggle love. And he, right? might, and he might make her feel like he's a ride or die loyal type of dude. Hey. And that's very alluring, guys. Like, let's all be clear that even though we're not all dating a, a, a Mr. Petty, we all know what it's like, how intoxicating it can be when you feel like somebody's all about you. I don't ride and I don't die for no motherfucker. How about that? <laughs> I'm not going to die. And where are we going? <laughs> <laughs> where are we going? Okay. We're not taking this train to hell. Not us together. No. Uh, I love, you have to come back. I'll come back. I feel like this hour went by so quickly. It's actually, crazy enough, the least amount of drinking that we've done. We usually, let's take one more sip. Let's toast to a free agency and freedom, since you're a Sag, and I know you guys love freedom. I do love my freedom. Take a sip. Mm. Oh, that vodka is vodka-ing. Guys, uh, you've heard the word emotional intelligence many times. We should have made it like, um, what's what happens? The, the the word of the day is emotional intelligence. For those of you who've been asking about the workshops that we're going to be doing, sorry, that vodka is like hugging me from the inside. Um, we are doing a new series of emotional intelligence workshops, and I wanted to use this episode to announce it since Jayla's here and she's the perfect person. Um, we're doing a new series of emotional intelligence workshops, four weeks um, every Sunday starting in January, not the first Sunday because we're all going to be hung over from, from New Year's, but four weeks in four, four weeks in January, um, it's on thy shift January.eventbrite.com. That's on thy shift January.eventbrite.com. And listen to the name, on thy shift. I want people to own their shit, but also own their shift. Um, Jayla, I, I would love, love to give you a free membership to the, come to the workshops and just like maybe talk to some of the people. Like, I think I would just love to have you for one of the weeks to be there. I'm here. You know, this is my shit. And we do it via Zoom. So you don't have to worry about the COVIDs or nothing like that or the vaccinations. Everybody, Everything is via Zoom because I think there's something about how real and um, you're polished, but you're gritty at the same time. And I think a lot of people, and I, and I say this with all due respect, would see what happened to you as their worst case scenario. Correct. And we never think about what happens on the other side of your worst case scenario. Correct. And so you're a testimony to like, and onward and upward. That's why I call myself the self-esteem queen. Oh, I love you so much. This was such a good episode. Thanks a lot. And to all those women out there who tried to shame me because I wouldn't yank on that man's balls. Hit shame up on you. <laughs> shame hey, on, shame you. on you. Shame. Um, I have to read something for, you know, housekeeping. For everybody who's watching the show on Patreon, it's Blue Centric. I'm um, sorry. Patreon.com backslash Blue Centric. Um, we also make sure that you guys always see the videos first because that's part of membership. And I have to read this off. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. Please rate us all the episodes on Apple, Spotify, or YouTube because apparently it helps with the algorithm or something like that. And for those of you who want to see the videos from each episode again, or the releases are available on Patreon. And please check out Jayla. Jayla, let them know where they can find you. For those who are not watching the video, I want them to hear from you, where they can find you, what you're doing, what you can offer to the public. Because I know Jayla has discernment, so she doesn't want you to call her house unless she invites you. Let us know how to find you, Jayla. Selfesteemqueen.com. That is selfesteemqueen. Dot com. Don't ask me what I do because I'm that nigga. I do a lot of stuff. <laughs> Selfesteemqueen.com. Jayla, thank you so much. Thank you. You will be back. I'll be back. And I, I love that we were able to find good parking so now you're not as scared to come next time. Not sca- Listen, I'm not scared, okay? <laughs> I like transients, actually. I do. Oh. I don't have a problem with transients at all. I don't. I, I, I feel very safe around transients. I don't. You know. When we come back, when you come back, we're going to have a conversation about the advocacy you do about helping people off the streets yeah, because thanks. that is huge. And and I think sex trafficking is something that we think we see on Dateline. It happens every day. Yeah. You guys, please be hyper vigilant about protecting and safeguarding your peace, even if it means annoying somebody. Um, and to those of you who have somebody in your life who you think has been um, 
how do I say this? Touched by sexual abuse or has dealt with any of these topics, please give them a trigger warning before you send this episode. I cannot stress this enough. Make sure that you're giving somebody the opportunity to opt in or out of this episode because while we tried to keep it as light as possible and we had a great time, these are really sensitive topics and you don't ever want to assume where somebody is on their healing journey. All right? Love y'all. Bye. Bye. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electricast production. Electric acid. Electric acid.